politics, clear and simple, with your host, Dr. Greg Robert Rabidou. Rabbit Rabidou! <laughs> okay, Scoops, thanks for the introduction as always. Oh, and one of the globe's biggest sporting competitions is in disarray this morning after a boycott by the Milwaukee Bucks who failed to take the floor in their NBA playoff. They just didn't come out of the change room. This in reaction to the recent police shooting of black man Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Hey friends, today I want to talk just for a few minutes about the NBA boycott. Today is August 27, 2020, and last night we had three scheduled NBA playoff games, and it started with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, deciding as a team to not step onto the court and play their scheduled game against the Orlando Magic uh, to protest the shooting, the police shooting of Jacob Blake, a black male in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, a large city in Wisconsin, of course, Kenosha about 30 minutes away. And then in Unity, we had the other two scheduled games, four teams, including LeBron James's Los Angeles Lakers, also vote to boycott last night's game. So all in all, we had three playoff games boycott. It didn't happen last night. And as I speak to you today, August 27th, NBA teams continue to discuss and kick around the idea of potentially just canceling the season. I've heard some reports that said they decided that they won't. And then I just heard another report coming out of the NBA that said, well, it's not necessarily a unanimous decision and some teams may just opt out and say, forget it. So I think with most people, um, as most commentators initially have expressed, I think most people support uh, the feeling, the heartfelt, no doubt, very sincere, heartfelt intention of these high profile mostly, though not all, African-American athletes to take a stand, use their public forum, use their uh, ability to have a, essentially a global megaphone and say enough is enough. We're going to take a stand against this kind of violence and the way we can do this is to not give what we would ordinarily be giving under contract, what we're, we're not going to do essentially, we're not going to go to work, we're not going to play, we're not going to do essentially what we are paid to do as a way to show our frustration and anger over what happened in Kenosha. And like I said, as many commentators, in fact, I have not yet heard any commentator speak differently this sentiment has been, this is admirable, this is noble, this took a lot of courage, this is very laudable. Now look, I have in the past been critical of the NBA in their players and their players union, their commissioner, for what I saw as an incredible coward, uh, cowardly behavior when it came to Hong Kong. So if you recall a few months ago, Daryl Moore, general manager of the Houston Rockets, tweets uh, very... One or two tweets in support uh, in sort of a conceptual abstract way of the Hong Kong uh, protesters stand with freedom. And you had an immediate and predictable, predictable backlash against it from China. And they threw their weight around. They threw their 1.6 billion consumers and their huge market for the NBA and their huge amount of money they represent to the NBA. And they immediately said, apologize, retract it. We're canceling exhibition games. We've got scheduled already in China. And NBA, essentially, you're going you're gonna to pay through the nose if you support this tweet. And what did you see? Immediately, you saw sort of this delicate, 
gee, we believe in freedom, but we don't want to upset the Chinese cultural sensitivities by Adam Silver, the commissioner. We saw LeBron James saying, you know, people like Maury shouldn't be tweeting about things they don't know. Essentially, we saw the victory of money over value. We saw money over morality. So I have been critical of the NBA and what I see is their hypocrisy and double standard in the past. Come out strong in support of some issues when it doesn't necessarily potentially hurt your bottom line. Stay silent or suppress other people's independent views when it may hurt your sneaker sales and your ticket sales and your revenue. Now in this case, again, I think it's hard, especially in a predominantly African-American league with a lot of high-profile black athletes, it's hard to not see where they're coming from and not support what they did. And I, I do. But now my question is, like any boycott, where do we go from here? Like any boycott, the question becomes, what is the X that you demand to either give or refrain from giving the Y? So in the NBA case, the question is, okay, what is the clear and simple demand? What is the X that you want before you will give Y your services as a professional athlete that you're under contract to give, that you're being paid to give, which is playing basketball and setting foot and playing on the court. What has to happen for you to play? We know this about boycotts. Rarely, if ever, do they work. And rarely, if ever, they, do they work for a number of reasons. Predominantly because when it comes to pocketbook versus principles, let's face it, the majority of people may believe in a cause, may support a cause, but reality, economic reality, often with consumer boycotts is, I'm with you, but... I need this product. I'm with you, but I got to feed my family. And I'm not going to pay double or boycott a certain brand I, I love or use or works within my budget to make ostensibly a larger, somewhat more abstract point. We saw a classic example of a politically driven boycott that failed miserably recently when many on the left, led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, congresswoman, Hispanic congresswoman out of New York, led a boycott against Goya, a Hispanic American food company, because she and others could not stand the fact that the CEO of Goya, representing all of Goya's 12 to 15,000 employees, took part in a White House President Trump event recognizing and honoring, yes, Hispanic American companies. Now, the CEO of Goya said, look, I took part in the Obama administration, similar event. I take part in Trump. I'll take part in a Biden one if he wins. That's what we do good relations with the president who the American people elected. It wasn't good enough for Ocasio-Cortez and others, including Julian Castro, another Hispanic American representative from Texas, who basically said that's not good enough and continued to try to essentially put Goya out of business. And this is what also happens with boycotts. And the, re the reason they also often fail is the intended target the intended point you want to make has real, often unintended consequences, often negative unintended consequences. And in this case, the negative unintended consequence isn't the CEO. He's making probably millions. He's going to be fine. It's all the people, the Hispanic Americans 
and Hispanic families that would be hurt if the company went out of business because you were doing a boycott because you didn't want and couldn't accept the fact that the company was involved with President Trump. And often boycotts are unwieldy, they're messy, and they're, they lack a specific target, and that's when they fail. So I come around again to just the question, what is the clear and specific demand that the NBA players like LeBron James want to see happen before they come back and provide the Y in the X and Y equation? Is it merely a symbolic gesture? Some have continued to talk about canceling the entire season. Do they want to do this for symbolic reasons? Uh, do they want to put specific pressure on advertisers and sponsors of the NBA to then put some sort of specific political pressure on the Kenosha local leaders to do something specific in terms of uh, punishment f if it's justified for this police officer that shot Jacob Blake? Is it some sort of reform they want? Some NBA players have said they support defunding the police. Others have said they support abolishing the police. Uh, while others, a few, smaller number, have said that they don't want to rush into judgment. So what, if anything, though, is the X to the Y, X and Y equation in this boycott? And I think before we continue to support and continue to lavish praise on it, I think some questions just simply need to be asked, which is, what needs to happen before you go ahead and honor your contract? Because it'd be the same question, I think, in fairness, we could ask of any employee in any industry that starts a boycott that will affect, in this case, thousands and even millions of people. What's the specific demand? What needs to happen? And is it fair? Is it realistic? Okay, so who will win in November? My goodness, we are deluged with polls every day I hear and, and review, because it's part of what I do, dozens and dozens of political polls. But there's one sneaky statistic that I have found is a great predictor of who's going to win in November presidential elections that isn't talked about much. It's one of the few things that's not talked about much from commentators and pundits. And that is why I say, if you want to know who's going to win in November, go ask a real estate agent. Here's why. When you look at trends having to do with real estate, things like new home construction, new business and small business building construction, the number of permits for construction, private or public, that are taken out, when you look at the leasing numbers of commercial spaces and the leasing of homes, when you look at rental properties, and when you look at new home purchases, new home sales, and where people are moving to, and where are they moving from, this all falls under a good real estate agent's database. They know this stuff. They know the trends. They know what it means. And what does it mean? Well, we know that for the last 50 years, when you look at things like where people are moving to, if people tend to be moving from urban areas into suburban areas, that helps the Republican Party. If you look at the number of new home construction and small business building leasing versus construction, 
with construction being preeminent, we know that the greater the number of small businesses building versus extending leases or refinancing their lease, that tends to favor Republicans. We know that when rents are empty, rental units, rental properties are empty, and people are moving away from urban areas, they can't afford the rent, they're moving, they're living, they're going home, they're moving in with family, maybe younger folks are moving back with mom and dad, grandparents. This is not a good sign for Democrats, and the reason is simply put that Democrats, a great deal of their base, has evolved over the last 50 years and is heavily urban, heavily urban. So what are we seeing shape up in this election, some less than now three months away from November? Well, by both parties' standards, it seems like a good deal of what's shaping up is going to be a law and order versus how you feel on these riots and protests and police reform versus law and order. So a safety security versus from the Democratic standpoint, how President Trump has handled or mishandled the COVID-19 crises. The Democrats and Biden continue to push that President Trump and his administration have mishandled the COVID-19 crises, while the Trump administration now, August 27th, this is final day of their RNC, Republican National Convention, continue to make law and order front and center. So when we look at real estate trends, what do they tell us? They tell us, along with some interesting survey data that I've looked at in the last two weeks, they tell us that there's a growing fear in suburbs, a growing fear of homeowners, and a transitional movement from urbanites, city dwellers, into suburban areas that makes law and order a very salient and very significant issue for these folks. So we're seeing sort of the consequence of a lot of this continued unrest, protest, riots, lootings, fires, vandalism, and yes, sadly, shootings in major metropolitan and urban areas like New York City, Chicago, Minneapolis, Portland, and now Kenosha, Wisconsin. In fact, right now, a very recent survey taken in just this morning I looked at, August 27th, in Wisconsin seems to indicate that people outside of Kenosha watch are watching what's going on in their local TV. They're watching the fires, the riots, the violence, the shooting, two shootings in that, in that scene in Kenosha. And they're kind of weighing the issue of police reform, addressing what are these tragic shootings of black males versus their own law and order and safety in their own backyard. And the survey indicates that there seems to be a trend moving towards law and order and safety. In other words, we got to get law and order and safety first, especially not have what's going on in the suburb, excuse me, the urban, the city areas spilling over into the suburban areas. Once that's addressed, a number of voter sentiment seems to be we need to be addressing the police reform. We need to be addressing these tragic shootings.
But in politics, just as in life, when it comes home to roost, so to speak, right in your backyard, right in your own home, it uh, tends to clarify priorities for a number of people, rightly or wrongly. And when you couple that with the real estate trends I've been looking at, it's significant and it's right now the numbers in the proportion of number of rentals, number of movements, number of new homes being constructed, uh, number of people selling homes in and around. It's usually in the city to 12 miles outside of the city and leaving and moving further away into another circle, another band, um, usually a suburban band parallel what we saw in 1968-1972 when we had a lot of upheaval and we had civil rights demonstrations, we had anti-Vietnam protests, a lot of upheaval in our cities, and it was eerily similar in that the candidate then, former Vice President Richard Nixon, made law and order priority number one, and his opponents at that time, whether it was Hubert Humphrey or George McGovern, made some of the similar issues that we're hearing on the Democratic side come front and center. And in those elections, law and order won overwhelmingly. But underneath the rhetoric were these kinds of real estate trends I'm talking about. So it's an interesting predictor. It's one of many possible predictors. Um, for a while, especially women, suburban women have been the polls have been indicating for the last six months that they have been leaning anywhere from 5% to 12% for Joe Biden. But very recent trends that I'm looking at seem to be making some inroads into that 5 to 12% support. So again, what happens usually in presidential elections? Well, we discuss all kinds, dozens and dozens of issues. But oftentimes it comes down to maybe one or two key issues, the economy, if there's a war, law and order and safety. Now, what's interesting about this election, of course, law and order and safety is also wrapped up in lockdowns and COVID-19 crisis and how President Trump perception is, uh, has he handled or mishandled the COVID-19 crisis. So it's not quite as clear-cut as it was in 1968 and 72, but the trends, the real estate trends I'm talking about are very similar and almost run parallel in those two elections in which the Republican Richard Nixon won. So it's something for us to look at. I'm going to keep looking at it for you. I'm going to keep reporting it back to you. Have a great one, and um, let's be in touch. A final thought, though, about all of the unrest, whether it's New York City or Chicago or Portland or Minneapolis or now Kenosha, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, rational policy, rational reform, real solutions are not shaped and delivered in street violence. Fair and sober justice is never delivered at 3 a.m., in the, under the cover of darkness at the end of a baseball bat or a gun. And in politics and society, violence welcomes and exploits a vacuum. So when the police are defunded, when they're told to stand down, when they're abolished, when National Guard or State Guard are refused or rejected, 
or ignored, a fully and lawfully armed society often takes law into their own hands. Vigilante justice. And vigilante justice may work in the movies, but in real life it's often misguided, wrong, and tragic. But it's understandable to some ways. For example, when you're a shopkeeper and your entire livelihood in life is represented in a small business that's being looted, smashed, burned, attacked, you feel attacked, you feel your life is in danger, you know you can't call the police because they've been told to stand down or they've been defunded or slashed or abolished or all of them are busy essentially fighting for their lives in the midst of a riot. Most people, I would think, can have some empathy for what others do when they feel they're in that situation, they have to defend themselves, their business, or their livelihood. It doesn't make it necessarily right, but certainly is understandable in some ways. On the other hand, protest and peaceful protest, peaceful protest, lawful assembly has to be defended. It's a constitutional right for everyone. But the key here is just as you have some people wanting to and taking the law in their own hands when there's a vacuum, even worse, on a greater scale, is criminals exploit and they welcome a vacuum. So when the police are defunded or told to stand down or can't respond to a 9-11 call, criminals take advantage. This is what criminals do, right? They take advantage of it. They loot, they steal, they burglarize, they commit mayhem, they commit murder. So again, just to sum up, whether it's the NBA boycott, whether it's Black Lives Matter's leadership, whether it's protesters in the streets, what will satisfy a lot of these crowds? What will satisfy, in some cases, these violent mobs? Will anything satisfy them? I'm aware in our 91st straight day of riots and violence in Portland, for example. What are the clear and specific demands, if any, there, other than a desire for anarchy and destruction? a destruction of property, a destruction perhaps of a system of a way of life. So let's be thinking this as we continue to look at the violence and see the violence and observe sort of these upheavals and these explosions of fury and anger. And we see boycotts and we see now from groups even like the NBA, let's just ask the question, all of us hopefully working together what can we do? What clear and specific demands, what clear and specific response will it take for us to move from this sort of cycle of violence to something that's real and moves us towards a solution? Thanks for listening, as always. Until the next time we're together, take care. Adios. Hasta luego.